The Caring View, bringing you unfiltered conversations from the world of social care and health. Presented by me, Mark Tops, and me, Adam Fennell. Sit back, make your notes, and prepare to be inspired. Powered by carestartgroom.com, the care marketplace with everything you need to provide great care, including the kitchen sink. Yes, including the kitchen sink. If you don't believe us, go and check them out. Good evening and welcome to the Caring View. Just a reminder that views expressed tonight are that of our own and not the companies that we work for. And please don't forget to hit the subscribe button. So it'll be somewhere on your screen right now. So we've got the comments box, so please post your questions and we'll try and answer them live tonight. So tonight we are discussing digital technology in social care. So we've got some amazing guests tonight. So I will hand over to you three to introduce yourselves, a bit about you and the companies you work for. Who wants to go first? <laughs> Sangha, over to you first. Okay, I'm Sangha Chakravarti. I'm the founder of uh, Invicta IQ. We are a transformation services and tech solutions company. And our passion is to um, create more resource and time for social care so that we can create more care for, for the sector. And we do this by helping care providers with right technology, connected processes, and data analytics. And yeah, lovely to be part, part of this show. Um, you and I, we, we go a long way, I believe, Mark, now. It feels yeah, like we have been connected forever. Um, with the Health and Social Care Club, where um, I'm one of the lucky uh, ones among my other three amigos. With Katie, I do um, the Data Cafe, which is a new initiative. And with Morton, I do our Tech Care podcast, which brings technology and social care. So we are all friends here. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Katie, over to you next. Good evening. Good evening. Thanks so much for having me tonight. And um, yeah, really excited to be here. So my name is Katie Thorne. I work for the Registered Nursing Home Association, so one of the national trade bodies. Um, but my main role is I project lead um, something called Digital Social Care. We're a project which is run by the Care Provider Alliance and funded by the NHS to provide free support, advice and guidance to adult social care providers across England on anything to do with technology, information sharing, age protection, that sort of thing. Um, so we cover lots of different topics, get to do a lot of work with Sangha and Moulton, which is really great. I should say my background is working in social care, so my family have a nursing home, so I've done every job from starting out as a cleaner to kitchen staff to more operations to as a care worker. So I'm coming at this much more from working in social care services which use technology as opposed to being a technology expert, to which I'll have to give over to Sangha and Moulton for those things. But you're probably definitely more of a technology expert than I am. So, <laughs> Malta, last but not least. Thank you very much. And I was just about to say that, Katie, you're being far too modest. You know, so many things about what's happening now. And I do really genuinely lean on the digital social care newsletter. Comes out every month, I believe. Uh, and I'm, I'm definitely a loyal reader of that, which I'm sure in there. In the latest edition, there are a lot of things to be discussed tonight as well. Uh, my name is Morten Matheson. I'm originally Danish, so if you think that I sound very foolish, that's why. Other than, of course, my opinions and what I say. <laughs> I am one of the co-founders of Sequoia, and we do digital care planning uh, all across Scandinavia and the UK. Thank you very much, and welcome, three of you. So I thought I'd kick it off. So the government has put out its target in the white paper. So they want 80% of care providers to go digital by 2024 and 100% of providers by 2025. So I was kind of looking online and the last stats I could see was it around 40% mark were fully digitalized. Um, obviously we'll see 150 million come from the Department of Health and Social Care. But do you feel this is enough just to support providers saying this is what we expect, here's some money, go forth. Katie, I'll come to you first. Do you think that's enough for social care providers? Um, I mean, the short answer is no. I, I don't think <laughs> it's enough. <laughs> um, I'll elaborate a bit. So 
the latest estimates, as you said, is that about 45% of care providers in England, adult social care providers, not children's services, are using some form of digital care record, electronic care planning. Um, and yeah, they're trying to try and get that to 80%, which I think is a really positive target for the government to have set. You know, I think it's a really good sense of direction for them to be going in. But the reality is, is that we know that adopting digital technologies, particularly something like a digital care record, can be really expensive for care providers. And so I don't necessarily think that the £25 million, which is coming this year, there's £150 million over three years, will help enough of the people who are struggling most financially in the first place. But also, I think it's not just about money. I think there's a lot of other reasons why people struggle to adopt technology. There's a huge range of different kinds of softwares out there. It's hard to make decisions. You have lots of other priorities as well. You know, there's so much happening in the sector. So actually finding the time to do a big project like this is really difficult. So I think just funding's not enough. There's not enough funding, but also more support is needed as well for the sector. Thank you very much. And I'm pleased you spoke about decision making. And that's one of the questions I've got for you guys later. So we'll come to that. Sangha, what, what do you make of obviously the plan to go digital? What would you like to see from the government to support providers? I think it, it has to be a mix of a couple of things. Like Katie says, I also believe the financial uh, side of the story is not enough. And uh, it's not just about financial, it's about how are we going to skill our people? Because there is a bigger factor of fear that plays in our sector more. Um, so our sector doesn't think how technology is going to help them. It's more like, how is it going to, you know, uh, become worse perhaps. And um, my biggest worry is, uh, you know, just by throwing money, it's not going to solve, alleviate that. We have to equally, you know, make our workforce ready for it. And at the end of the day, digital, you know, it's just a tool. Uh, it's more about people management. It's more about change management. And we often see from the work that we do in the sector that many of, of the providers are still not ready yet with the rigorous um, planning or with the rigorous way of really knowing how do we go about this? How do we, you know, what is the first area that we digitize? Now, it, it's, it's one thing to say the sector is 45% digitized. What does it even actually mean? You know, is it only the care records being digitized? Is it you know, medication being digitized, what is what what does digitization of the sector actually mean? I think we need to we need to define that as a sector as well as with the help of government uh, you know, uh, ensure that that definition is well known and that definition is well accepted before we make it happen in the real life. Absolutely. And I'm pleased you touched on that because it's not really clear what the government mean by digitalisation. So I'm assuming they mean care planning and my record, but it doesn't actually really clearly cut and say, actually, we want this or is it actually AI for fools or anything? So, yeah. Morton, what's your kind of view and intake on it? <clears throat> I think I <clears throat> totally agree with, uh, with both Katie and Sanger here. I I'm not really sure that the co-funding of and i'm not actually sure how that will be distributed yet other than we know that it's going through the ics's and perhaps somewhere to via the icbs and the next letter i don't remember <laughs> with the ic something uh projects icps i guess um partnerships um <laughs> sorry but i think most importantly i don't think actually it's a question about the co-funding i believe if you look at how much it, it costs to have for a, a single care providers today to have their records on paper i think it's almost equivalent to one in some cases more expensive if you if you also look at time spent on taking out information that you need when you need it when you're being challenged for instance by the inspector and so on so i think all in all running just a regime on paper with ink and with for a nursing home of, of 40 residents I, I believe they say it's around 20 to thirty thousand sheets of paper every month to have that running not thinking about the woods or the forests and the trees and everything. It's actually, it's cost neutral to go digital with your records. But what Sam is saying is that it's, it's not necessarily easy to do so. You don't know what you're going for. You don't know what's right for you. You're afraid to make a decision that's impacting the 85% of your staff that's gonna use the system. And so they're, they're a lot worse than not getting 
co-funded uh let's say if, if that was sequoia in there in that nursing home it wouldn't cost them more than 300 quid a month to run that with sequoia so if they could get 50 percent of that paid for it's 150 per month that's not that's not very much you know in in the whole grand scheme so of running a nursing home so i don't think it's the financial side of things alone that does it but okay i'm, I'm really encouraged by the fact that they are backing up their ambition with also co-funding and lots of the great initiative initiatives that we can perhaps touch on later that the nhs are carrying out also now thank you very much and yeah i completely agree with all of you i think there definitely needs to be upskilling of staff i was on your website saying you're on invicta iq and you had a really easy tool about kind of the stats for staff and i, I was really kind of it surprised me that it was over 50 percent of staff actually want to be upskilled but there's that kind of desire from staff to actually progress within kind of their digital digital training which is with yeah which is a positive thing so how do we go about upskilling staff so we've got care home they might be partly digital where's the first step that they would look katie obviously i know that digital social care has a lot of tools on their website what would you advise any providers out there yeah, so I mean, something that I've seen work really successfully is looking at having a champion's role, really sort of in the same way as you'd have like an infection control champion or a dementia champion, you know, find somebody within your organisation who is a bit more pro-tech, more techie, the person who's always the first one to get a phone out, take photos, or be like, we should do social media, because that's the person who's really going to drive a positive change within an organisation. I think quite often there's a always falls on a registered manager who's got the world's largest job anyway so actually identifying those people within an organization who can take some of that burden can support other staff who can do peer learning i think is a really really positive step i see that worked really well um, when we did it in the care sets i used to work in but in terms of actual training which is out there there's some really great free tools which are being run now. So Barclays Digital Eagles, for example. So yeah, like Barclays Bank, but their corporate social responsibility arm does a lot of free training, which is really aimed at care staff, which is available across the country. But I think something that we do need to work through, and I know Sangha has some thoughts on this as well, is um, what actually sort of digital skills development looks like in the sector and how we start thinking about career pathways. So there's the Digital Skills Framework for Social Care, which Skills for Care have recently produced. It's in draft at the moment, but that's looking at sort of seven key themes of the digital skills that people need to have. And so I think the next step for that is, OK, we know as a framework, we've got these seven themes. Where's the training which is linked to that? Is there sort of workforce development fund linked to that so we can actually get staff the training that they need? And um, so... It's not an easy thing to do, but Digital Champions is definitely my one I would always push for. Thank you very much. And yeah, I definitely think that having a framework from Skills for Care with a chance to be able to recoup some of that money is nothing but positive. And I think some of it goes before they even join the sector. I think that, you know, schools need to be teaching about digital from such a younger age, you know, where mm -hmm. their brain can absorb all that information and actually even if it's secondary school where people can leave with some kind of life skills around the digital kind of world and yeah, be open and ready for work. Sangha, what are your thoughts? Um, I want to break it down into two things. You know, we talk about digital and technology, but if we if we break the layers and if we segregate them, you know, technology, digital is just a tool. And I know I keep repeating this again and again. Um, so my thinking is it has to be three-layered approach. And like you say, even before someone is recruited into the organization, during the interview, during the recruitment, we don't ask how open are you to learning new technology or you know, to be even immersed into a different way of working. So that's that's the first step, I think, you know, during the interview, making it aware uh, for, for the workforce that we will be using technology, the sector needs technology for betterment. And then the second is induction. Now I've seen most of the induction programs uh, they might have a bit of technology being taught, but it's it's not connected to their day-to-day -day work. And, you know, technology, like any other tool, if you don't use it regularly, then you are not going to be on top of the game. So really understanding, are you going to teach them Excel? Do their work involve working in words? Is it actually needed? You know, again, 
really pegging what do they need to do their job better. And again, if they're using some kind of an application system, why not create you know, multiple ways of training? How do you use that application system? So it involves working with partners, whoever your you know, digital software providers are, that can you provide me with trainings which are not just classroom-based? It could be you know, learning on demand so that it could be bite-sized, it could be listened to, it could be watched, again, to enable them to do their job better. Because at the end of the day, why are we bringing technology? We are bringing technology so that it frees up resources, isn't it? So that they can do their job without getting overwhelmed. So that's the second bit, you know, in, including it as part of the induction in such a way that they understand how it's going to connect to their uh, to their uh, job and the role. And then the third, uh, the second uh, step is to ensure that there is continuity in that learning. Now we have done quite a lot of projects uh, regarding digital implementation and things like that and you know most of the places where we have seen it fail is where that repeated training falters so they have been trained once in the when the at the beginning when the system was implemented and then suddenly there is nothing and after two or three years you suddenly see that the usage of the system has just gone down so that reputation is something that needs to be you know continued and finally, I think, you know, if there is someone who is really tech savvy or interested to develop their career, having that pathway that, look, you know, you it's you've joined as a carer, uh, carer you've joined as a manager, you've joined as a nurse, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to continue in that role. If you are very technologically savvy and you want to be a data scientist, you can, you know, if you want to be <laughs> a you know, software developer, you can. So creating that pathway, creating that, you know, vision and ambition for, for, for the employees, I think will help them to become better equipped in, in technology. So yeah, that's that's what I think. Thank you very much. And I think that was really interesting around the career pathway, because I think quite often we have conversations around the career pathways in social care, and it looks at kind of going into HR or admin or IT or whatever function, but we don't actually think about kind of the digital side and actually giving the staff the skills to then go off and work somewhere else, whether it's in that organisation or somewhere else. Morton, obviously you, you've got Sequoia and you've got a lot of care providers using your software. What kind of support have you seen that care providers have given to their staff to kind of upskill them in using your, your technology? Brilliant question. I think one that every provider should ask their supplier simply, because what, for me at least, what Sangha described is something that's pivotal to, to really delivering a good service as a supplier to the sector, that you can look yourself in the eye at night and say, well, actually, I'm satisfied with what we did. It may not have been a success end of the day, but we at least delivered a bespoke uh, implementation and operations plan where you can tap into the resources that are available from Sequoia side or from any other supplier side. So we, we do things with, as you say, Sangha, with e-learning. So you can have the whole training program actually on the administration page of Sequoia, so basically in the web browser. You can do it here asynchronous in your own time whilst also, of course, providing on-site, a classroom kind of training. So it's everything ranging from, it depends on how digital mature the, the organization really is. And we can do many different things. I think the more mature organizations we're working with, the more they realize how important it is to have, as Katie said, champions. And then we, we offer a super user uh, training, which is free. It's just part of what we deliver. But it's not everyone that wants it, really. But we we encourage a lot of the users of the system to be, become super users because it means that they can replicate their knowledge and pass it on to others and and just really champion the use of the system. Um, and then just to round off my turn here, I, I will say what happened also in career-wise. We took one of the people that worked in one of the organizations who was such a brilliant carer and asked her to come and work for us. Um, of course, with the approval of her organization, uh, she did She did pretend to go and study in the city uh, where we're headquartered, and then she came to us, really. <laughs> no, but yeah, absolutely. You can, you can, you'll discover when you work with technology, of course, that it's not, it's not a tech business. It's so funny because it's, it's only people working there anyway. So it's a people business still. Um, and it's about translating the needs from 
the type of organization you're in to the type of organization that you're buying from or, or that's providing your services. And that, that particular role, I definitely see a lot of potential in for the career paths for people that work in social care as well. And there's only going to be more and more of those positions offered. So, yeah. Did that really answer the question though, Mark? I'm not sure. I just rambled a bit. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good to know, obviously, what Sequoia offers as support. Because I think I've been at, I've been there when you're looking at um, digital care planning providers and you've got so many that are contacting you saying you should go with us for this. And you never actually really know. And there's no tool out there. And I do wonder whether things have got better now that managers speak a lot more. And obviously, COVID's increased kind of that communication of actually saying, mm -hmm. we use this provider give me the pros and cons or care workers talking to each other. And I think if people oh, yeah. are around digital, they're, they're a lot more open and honest about actually, I don't understand this. I think so. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The other day I got a, like what I could clearly see was from an Instagram uh, like group of people where it, it uh, a WhatsApp, sorry, like the kind person sent it on to me and it was just a, a very um, nice message to get because it was someone recommending us but I could also see other systems recommended in there. So I definitely think that in those type of groups and on the Outstanding Managers Network that Jane Brightman runs, uh, they'll definitely be sharing of all these systems and people that recommend to each other. And, and I think the pace in general of the transformation now is, has ramped up again after COVID. And so, so I think every supplier should really look into their, like their, we just call the customer success concept what are you really offering once after sales once you've got people hooked are you really then still committed to providing the success that's needed and refresher trainings added additional modules um, all that all those things it was actually jane townsend of the home care association that told me over time Morton, i know you'll have more or less the same features like the other systems uh, because we were trailing on some of those things at some point but what you have to promise me is you deliver a good uh, service concept, uh, implementation concept. And I promised her, so we're still on that. <laughs> no, no I, I think that's a good thing. I think there's so many care planning providers out there that hook you in. And then once you're there, there's no support. You don't really know what's going on. And then they end up having to buy themselves out of their contract. And we see it time and time again. So I think it's good that actually you offer that support ongoing. You touched and I on... Think a, lot of the, a lot of the organisations do. So it was not too like... Yeah, yeah. Well, you should. Can I have advertising here? <laughs> you touched on on COVID, and we know that obviously providers, obviously many of them, kind of pushed kind of digital into their services. They had no choice but to kind of, if they had started that digital kind of pathway, there to ramp it forward. Sanga, I know in VictiQ you can support organisations that might have purchased one or two digital systems that don't integrate. Can you tell us more about that? Because I think there's a lot of providers out there both in health and social care, that have too many software systems doing kind of multiple things, but actually joining them into one? Yeah, so um, we do two things. You know, one thing, uh, what we often do is do a digital roadmap. So uh, we pull through, we, we go, we start from the basic, what is it? What problem are you trying to solve? We don't talk technology at first because uh, that's not needed. Many times we have seen that, you know, many of the things could be, it, it could be solved even without technology if, if you if you connect the processes together. So our approach is looking at what is it that they need to do, and then we have um, kind of we have broken down the uh, different providers into three layers. You know, one those who are mostly on paper, we we say that okay for you you have to go. You know, digital means you are looking at a couple of systems at least, the TRIO, for example, the, um, the care management system, the EMAR, and of course the ROTA, because you're a, at the end of the day, care business is a people business, right? It's, it's all about you know, your, your customers, and I know Morton touched upon that. So how are you ensuring that your people, which are at your core, i.e. employees, they are being served the right way without, you know, paid the right way, the time and attendance are managed the right way, and then you are measuring what's the number of hours that needs to be provided, you know, in, in terms of care, so on and so forth. So that is that aspect is integrated. And then we take it forward from there. Then the next layer we talk about, you know, uh, digitalization, where we say, okay, there are a couple of uh, systems in the organization, but um, 
are they new are they are they obsolete is it a chance that you know they need to replace them because uh, they have bought something eight years ago and and there are many beautiful systems that exist now new tech you know who are which are capable of doing so many wonderful things and they're open to talk and you know integrate between multiple systems so that's that's the um, digitalization layer and then finally we, we find organizations who are uh, you know who have quite a few around eight to nine uh, application softwares in place uh, doing bits here bits there we try and integrate them and we say okay you don't need this replace this you know uh, bring in kind of a nice hr system which has a good um, kind of interface with your recruitment because there's no point you know you're recruiting and then having an admin key in all those new recruits into your hr so that they then translates into into employees because recruitment and ats and an hr system should ideally be able to talk so uh, so that's the big digital transformation angle even though each of these stages are part of digital transformation we like to break it down from digitization digitalization and digital transformation so that's one and um we are also going to launch a product very shortly uh you'll hear all about it in october that connects <laughs> all the systems and you know pulls the data to give you the right kind of dashboard and KPI <laughs> take decisions from so you'll hear more from it uh but it's, it's already there up on our website but uh, i've been hush hushed by the team not to go overboard yet well, I've just shared the link down below. So for anybody watching that wants to have a look and fish around. So I'm pleased okay. you touched on employee Sangha. And Katie, I wanted to speak to you because I know you're passionate about ensuring that whilst care providers are kind of going digital and on that journey, they actually remember kind of the end users and involving them. So you always kind of give us some advice and kind of why you're passionate about making sure that's happening within the care providers. Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of a bit of my soapbox at the moment, to be honest with you. So I think quite often when I see technology being adopted and it doesn't go particularly well as an implementation, that the decisions are being made for completely the right reasons. You know, it's somebody very senior who's seen the benefits of, of any particular kind of technology, you know, care planning, rostering, email, whichever type, and has picked a system which is very shiny and has all of the bells and whistles and that sort of thing but at the end of the day that person who's made the decision isn't actually the person using it every day they're not the person who knows necessarily the ins and outs of exactly what it's like doing that medication round or what it's like when you're sort of getting up people helping people get up in the morning or supporting them to get dressed so I think it's really important that if you want these things to be successful staff really need to be involved in the actual like decision making process around purchasing technology they're the people every day who are going to be using it and they're only going to use it well if they really buy in so i think it's really important i'm not saying you have to poll every member of staff <laughs> that's possibly not something which is possible but you know, <laughs> pick a couple of people who are excited about it get them involved get them to do some demos i think there's a great uh, comment that i saw come up from hannah montgomery about like de demo testing software i think that's brilliant get your staff teams involved with that um, and then as well if it's technology which you're going to be using with the people you're supporting with residents with clients in whichever setting you're in they should also be involved in that decision making process mm. you know I, I remember we, like, being in a nursing home and you know you're in somebody's room on a mobile phone inputting lots of different things it's important it's for the care plans like you need to be in there but if you haven't had that discussion with the individual to make sure that they know that's what's happening, you're not just ignoring them because you're on a phone, then that's just completely cutting them out of the process, which is meant to be about them and supporting mm. them and working with them. So for me, I just think it's really important that everybody gets to input into this decision-making process. And that way you've got buy-in before you're even at the implementation phase. You know, people are excited and championing it from the beginning. So that's sort of my big plea is to get everyone involved, really. I definitely think if you can get buy-in from your staff team from an early stage, it makes that rollout so much easier and less resistant. And I think they then know actually what's happening. There's that, you know, like you said, there's that buy-in. They've got the knowledge and the skills right from the start as opposed to it just kind of landing in their desk. You, you touched slightly on um, the people that we support. 
do you feel kind of on the digital pathway that kind of we're on in social care at the moment that we're on the right path for people using care services do you think that there should be more involvement because i don't know for me personally i see there's a lot of different tech out there but i don't necessarily feel like we involve people to see actually to get their feedback of how it is how it works i know one thing that i quite often kind of get messaged about from kind of the days of kind of championing people with learning disability and their rights is around kind of easy read and there's not much easy read out there for people um yeah where do you feel like we should go to support people using care services with digital social care i mean there's i think we're not doing enough generally this is a massive generalization I, there are some organizations out there doing an absolutely incredible job of this but generally speaking i think as the advice we give on digital social care doesn't cover this enough the things coming out of government doesn't co cover this enough is actually including the people we're supporting at every stage of this process making sure they're okay with it where possible getting consent where people have capacity to consent to using these technologies is impacting them in every way and also making sure that they maintain having access and input into their care records in the way that they should be having I mean, my background's working in older people services, generally speaking, and there's sort of an assumption that we had that like, oh, old people don't want to look at like a tablet or a phone. They don't want to engage with technology. But actually then we're restricting their access to their own care records because they're not engaging them or we're not engaging them enough with technology. And I just don't think that's right to do. So I think it's something that all services should be considering right from the beginning is actually, you know, making sure everybody's on board with this sort of direction of travel. Generally speaking, I've heard lots of residents from care, um, from care homes who are really, really positive about it, especially also with their families, where you've got family portals, for example. So you've got people who haven't been able to visit over COVID or who can't visit for other reasons because they live remotely with permission to view portions of the care record remotely, I think that could be a really positive and powerful change. But that's got to be a conversation that we're having. And I think it's increasingly something that CQC will be looking at as well in terms of the adoption of this technology, because, you know, it's got to be person-centred and how can you evidence that? How can you show you're going through that process without involving everybody? So, I'm positive that we're moving in the right direction. I don't want to be really gloomy about it. <laughs> I, I'm surprised that the CQC don't already regulate that side of things because obviously digital care planning has been around for a long time. And I'm surprised that if you're already digital, if you've been digital for kind of over a year, why well, they're not saying actually, do you have a family and friends portal? You know, because most of the software does have one. Hmm. Morton, do you feel comfortable that kind of we're at the right stage in personalization for people using care services and also the staff using the software? Or do you feel like we can make it more personalized? Well, I 100% think we should make it more, more personalised, and and I totally agree with with you, Katie. I don't I don't think we're at all where we should be when it comes to involving people that draw on services, people we support, um, their families. Even I think we're it's 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 all backwards in this sector, unfortunately, because it's so compliance and safe. Let if you look at the CQC, Chloe's, we're we're so much about safe because we're so afraid because that's going to close us down in a moment's time. So it's all about who's buying what here, and obviously those that are buying the, for instance, the care planning software, aren't the ones that are using it as we've talked about, and they should be more involved in deciding what's good and what's bad for them. But definitely also those people that are in this matter a private person whose digital transformation is somewhere else out there in, in, in the app store and so on. We, we don't consider them involved here as of yet. I don't really think we should do a better job there. Um, and, and those times that it does happen in Sequoia, not, not a contract we won, but a contract where we participated, uh, a contest where we participated, where another great company won. Um, they had done a massive, and I can I can applaud them. It was making space. They'd done a massive job in taking everyone in in a huge committee, employees, people that worked for them, people that lived in the facilities, and so on. Fantastic job. Uh, it was it was it was quite an experience to be a part of, even as as the supply and feedback we got and that we've taken in so far and trying to like mold our roadmap on. Um, that that was one part of the answer, and then. When really, I, uh, when we look at um, 
like the masters out there, the giants that we really like, the like the Deliveroo's, the Amazons or Netflix and so on. I say we really like them, but I'm I'm impressed by them. But I'm also of course quite scared. But uh, Amazon will uh, be fully aware of my cookies. I'm 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 aware, <laughs> and they'll know what I've searched for previously. Then they'll know what I've bought. They'll 100% suggest something for me that I'd like and. And I was thinking, why, why does why doesn't that happen in social care? I mean, if we can consent to something like that, so my training suggested trainings could be more spot on. And yeah, it's again back to I think safe versus convenience versus self development, own development, and preferences, and so on. But I think if we looked at some of those algorithms and and just so, some of the ways that they have profiles and deeper profiles also speaking tech then i think we could really learn from and it doesn't have to be super difficult is, is our experience so far we could really learn from them and in the technology build more room for simple capacities to have my own profile my life history what are my interests are and make that a part of the professional part of the system as well so even if it would just be serving a meal and having that support, what if you're working in an organization and you're doing that for me, then I'll know that I'm a Newcastle United supporter and we can have that chat about something over the weekend or, or whatever it is. I, I realize most people in the service may know already, but yeah, I think there's definitely room for improvement there on personalization for sure. I think you touched kind of on Amazon and as you were speaking even before you mentioned Amazon I was thinking you know technology isn't just care planning you know we've got social media out there we've yeah. got, you know, Alexa devices and I think some care homes like Katie said do a fabulous job of involving the people that they support and really upskilling them and I know in the learning disability world that kind of happens as like a standard but I think kind of in a lot of elderly care homes there's still kind of that reluctance and like we've discussed actually that assumption that they don't want to be on social media but actually it's got a great way of connecting people and upskilling people yeah no just Kate, it just dawned on me that uh i was seeing an interview that like, the Dan a danish authority uh, had done from a from a care home in denmark that uses um they use sequoia and and they interviewed one of the old ladies in the home and and they asked her what she was thinking about all this technology and she said oh it's nice then people aren't asking the same questions all the time because it's all in there <laughs> and i just really like the, the a very simple and honest answer about well then it, at least there's that continuity isn't there that she knows that they know so they don't have to ask her all the time <laughs> i just like that answer yeah i definitely think it does relieve that kind of repetitiveness and i think one thing i saw from one care provider which i really liked was at the end they had so you have obviously the tick box or the actions that you need to complete. They had a section of what did the person think, and then they handed over their device to the person. So the person could then type or use the voice to type to say how they felt at that particular moment in time. And then obviously mm -hmm. save that as the action, which I actually thought was really nice. And kind of took me back to the days where we might have supported people to kind of write their own entry or to keep a diary or something. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen that since in any other provider, but yeah, I remember seeing that. I think it was either on LinkedIn or one of the Facebook groups and thought it was really nice. We've had a couple of comments come in. So Dudley has commented, it's about consistency of technology around the country and not governed by your postcode. Absolutely agree. I think we've obviously got some services that are still struggling with, you know, broadband. We're gonna see the introduction of 5G and some people probably don't even get 4G still. Um, he's also added, but we need to respect the digital transformation journey and we have to keep joining together as a sector to push this. Absolutely agree. I think digital is the, the way forward. And I believe Sanger once said that, correct me, Sanger, if I'm wrong, that digital isn't a luxury or a necessity. You're going to have to tell me, Sanger, because it's gone out of my mind, but I remember you making a statement that I cannot put up. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a necessity. And, you know, I, I was uh, I was listening and uh, to you, uh, Martin and Katie, and I was nodding my head thinking, you know, often we, we complicate by thinking that technology and digital is this big thing that we need to embark on. Now there are small little things which uh, which you can do as as part of uh, providing that care, and uh, our sector still quite focuses on quality of care as some of the KPIs. But what about quality of life? And it's not difficult to measure quality of life. You know, it, it could be just as simple as 
you know, asking the resident or, or the service users, I know I'm using these two words, perhaps, uh, you know, uh, many, many of the providers don't like using these words, but, but the people we care and, and their friends and families, what is quality of life? You know, what is one thing that if we do every day that will enhance the quality of life for you? And if we are able to record that and if we are able to deliver that consistently, that's a personalized service that we are offering. And for that, you don't need a very high AI sensor driven, you know, big data driven technology. You just need the mindset and probably somewhere to record that information so that you're not asking the same question again and again and ability to record that you're delivering that every day. So it's a necessity, you know, it's not a luxury anymore, but um, it doesn't have to be this big bang, big investment, big, you know, uh, thing. It can be incremental, it can be small thing, but it's it has to be weaved in the culture, in the, in the mindset of people. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we've had another comment come in. So he has said, I think we need to look carefully in the carefully in the disadvantages and weigh it with the advantages then we will know what to introduce or what not to introduce absolutely and i think that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier actually we've got care providers that are kind of talking to one another they're sharing those pros and those cons and i definitely think that's definitely a positive thing talking about going digital i wanted to kind of speak to you about the tips or advice that you've got morton i'll come to you because i'm sure you've got lots of experience of kind of sharing tips and advice to anybody kind of looking at digital planning and sanga will come and look at different software that you provide bits and pieces but morton any advice or tips you've got for providers <laughs> well just to begin with i just wanted to comment on 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 what i didn't see your name in, in the chat i do think that it, it's true that we need to look at the advantages and really be thorough when we analyze what type of service what type of home are we what's our culture what do we need um, and then from from that strategy or or whatever your vision really is then go from there and find out with the right questions throughout your own process are we like a time and task type of organization where we like to work individually uh, or are we more of a team-based organization where where this has all to, to be a feature in the product that we go for. If we go for a rostering system, do we do we want to be able to be dynamic and change our own shift in between us? Or, or would we like that funnel through someone who owns the, or has that ownership? I think by asking those types of questions and finding out what type of organization you are and where you want to have control and, and give away control. And I think from those types of questions, you'll quite quickly understand what type of solution you need also on a feature level and then take a lot of demos and be very open and honest with the people that you see what you're looking for and and you'll quite quickly find that by the answers that you get you you'll immediately i think you'll immediately know if if you're if you're sitting with the right people what their concepts are and as we talked about earlier on the customer success the implementation how much hand-holding is there going to be? It's, it's a lot like dating, really, isn't it? You have to find out what's right for you, and, and you'll know also by spending time with the people. And obviously, a lot of people who are willing to sell you stuff will also be willing to sit with you at least before they've sold you. So make sure to use that time wisely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the only thing I would say from experience is don't go with the provider that is going to be hard selling you and constantly just on the phone, just talking to you about sales. So, Sangha, what advice do you have to care providers? Obviously, with your hat on about, obviously, providers that are kind of invested in too many different products that now don't talk to each other. Yeah, so, you know, if, if uh, I'll, I'll answer the question in two, uh, two legs, okay? The first leg is before you are going to procure or implement any technology system, the first thing is forget about technology, think of what problem you're trying to solve. Why? And like Katie says, you know, involve as many people as possible because most of the solutions lies with your front line, with the people who are actually on the ground. You know, they come up with brilliant solutions then look at your processes because many times what we have seen is we bring in a technology but we continue to do our old processes you know which means that 
you are not getting maximum benefit out of the technology that you are you are bringing in so the first leg is what problem you are solving bring your people look at your process then look for look out for technology and now coming to when you are looking for technology there are few things that you need to look at of course like uh, like morton says you know what are the features that that are more according to your need you know most of the off the shelf software will have a laundry list of things that they can do but many of those things you might not even need so identify what are the top things that you really need and then you know uh, benchmark them benchmark multiple providers against those second one is user friendliness this is something that i keep you know keep telling everyone that it's not about a very high end thing <laughs> all singing all the dancing elephant you bring it's about how user friendly your frontline the people who will be using the system feels so getting them involved is is key then the third is security you know data security is so 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 important and we as a sector we kind of don't do a great job with understanding you know the gdpr compliances the you know how to keep ourselves safe so understanding how that software will keep your data safe so ask those questions and and you know be be very direct you know the it's okay not to know but go and seek those answers out then third uh, then fourth point is flexibility how flexible are your you know are the suppliers do they believe in a partnership model or is it more like you buy this from me i'll give you you know if you buy today i'll give you a couple of months discount but i'll tie you for 5 years hell no don't don't <laughs> go for someone who is tying you for for 5 years 3 years you know anything beyond a year i would say try and negotiate not to have any any kind of um contracts like fixed contracts there has to be clauses you know of course you need to give them some notice it has to be you know win win for both of you but if you are in a partnership model collaborative model then it's about that relationship it's about how together they are going to solve your problem rather than giving you a software product and then you are not able to you know contact with them after after it has been implemented the next step is interoperability so is there a way how i can connect i've given you an example can my ats connect with my hr system how much is it going to cost are they even open to do this kind of integration so that's something that you need to be really upfront of um there are a couple of other things that you could look at for example you know uh, how innovative is this company what is their ecosystem look like you know do, do they have a good repute in the sector Uh, do the due diligence talk to people and there are lots and lots of forums now you know um i know mark you keep mentioning about the and morton you have mentioned about the outstanding managers forum there are lots of forums being run you know we run our health and social care club and many other forums that that exist you know digital social care is a great source of uh, information as well it, it comes up with a list of providers that you could you know you could consider it as as your first port of call so look at that ecosystem and finally the cost and this is somewhere where i have to elaborate a little bit and give me give me a couple of minutes yeah so when we implement a system we don't look at what is going to be the setup cost what is going to be you know the license cost and how much is going to be the maintenance cost as in what am i going to you know incur if i'm going to ask for a change so are they going to uh, charge me a thousand pound a day to train my people are they going to you know if i want to make a little tweak in the system are they going to charge me additional for that so understand that whole cost angle you know till today i i'm amazed that in my sector in our sector there are so many organizations they don't even know how much they're spending on a piece of technology and that frightens me because you know if if we don't know how much we're spending on technology how would we know what kind of roi it is going to generate and whether that investment is even worth so again you know cost definitely is is a big angle but you need to consider the other angles as well so uh, sorry i think uh, you know i have managed to answer what you asked but i went on a tangent because i thought i have to share all these no they they were great great bits of advice i think and i think 
talking of costs, I think one thing that we kind of forget is about actually when we need new licenses or to refresh the license, actually how much that's going to cost, because quite often the price kind of hikes. I think it was great that you spoke about integration, because I think sometimes we rush because we need a product or something that's going to solve a solution. We don't think about actually what we've already got in place. Hannah has commented before I come to you, Katie. Um, she's just advised also providers would sign up to contracts that have usage caveats, especially when software was mandated by the local authority that they didn't fully understand, which would mean that they would incur extra fees if they didn't use the software to a certain proficiency. Um, she would advise to review all contracts with a fine tooth comb. Absolutely. Yeah. Katie, before I come to you um, for your tips and advice, we've also had a question come in about is there any funding available for providers to access in order to help them with digitalization, digital social care fund, which I didn't know whether you could talk about if you do know about it um, in your response yeah. to that tips and advice. Over to you. Yeah, sure. So um, there is funding which will be coming available through the Digitizing Social Care Fund. Um, we've put details up about that on digital social care and I'm expecting in the next couple of weeks to have details from each of the ICSs about how care providers can access that funding. Um, we also routinely collect sources of funding and put them into our newsletter at digital social care so there are a couple of other things which are live at the moment. Um, if you haven't already looked at it the government has the help to grow digital fund which will, you can get grant funding of up to £5,000 to help with buying operational and management software. Um, they also will pay for digital management courses as well. Um, and if you've got issues with connectivity, there's also the Rural Gigabit Voucher Fund, um, where you can get grant funding again for up to, I think it's £3,500 to improve your Wi-Fi broadband as in rural areas. I'm sorry if you're in a city, it won't help for that. Um, to do a plug for us, I would recommend if you sign up for our newsletter, it's just once a fortnight. There's always a section in there about any funding which has become available and how you can apply for it and whether it's like a short term funding window or something which is open all year round. So that's sort of where I, I spend a lot of time scouring the Internet trying to find all of these things. Thank you very much. And I have tried to keep up with what you were saying in terms of funding and sharing those links in the in the comments. So thank you very much. <laughs> Sorry, Mark, just like Hopefully I've got them all, so I will watch it back on repeat and I'll double check and I'll share, share any links that I've missed. I'm very conscious of time, we've only got eight minutes left. I want to kind of talk about awareness and kind of the future. So Sanger and Katie, you've obviously joined forces with Adam, so Invicta IQ, Digital Social Care and the IHSEM to create the Data Cafe. Are you able to kind of tell us more about that, what you kind of hope to achieve, what it's about? Yeah, sure. Um, Katie, you want to go for it? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's very much Sanger's idea. So jump in if I'm missing anything, Sanger, but it's, it's a really good idea. Basically, um, we know that quite a lot of people in the sector don't particularly like talking about data. The word sounds quite sort of out there and you're not really sure what it means. So and then but there is a lot of work happening in government where they're talking about data they're legislating for us to give them more data so we wanted to create like an informal space where it's people within the sector can talk about it can talk about data in terms of care quality but also how it can help with staffing and retention and really be sort of leading that conversation from within the sector within our own voices not just being done to but in conversation with um, so that's sort of where we started with data cafe it's once a month for an hour, just over a lunchtime session. Um, so do feel free to come and join us. Our next one's tomorrow. Um, did I miss anything, Sanger? No, you you have said it perfectly. So, uh, you know, it's also about really trying to demystify data and uh, make data a, um, it's a very dry word, isn't it, data? Mm. People often think, okay, oh, data is an output of something, but we like to challenge that thought and we say, no, data is not an output, rather it's an input to our business, you know, and how can we become more insight-led by really understanding what data we need to collect, how do we, you know, collect the right data and the good data and make use of data to, to, uh, you know, to um, inform our decision and inform our thinking. So, like Katie says, you know, it's it's a it's a safe peer-to-peer -peer, um, knowledge uh, sharing space. So we we love to hear from people, and you know, we, we want to create 
a place where people come and talk about data and, and say that we are not frightened of it. It's a, it's a day to day part of our life. And how can but how can we make better use of it? So um, we we want to welcome everyone to be the data ambassadors of 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 social care because all of us we create data, we consume data. So you know we shouldn't be frightened of data. Absolutely, and I think it's great that you're trying to demystify kind of those myths because I think you th you say the word data, and I think instantly you think big, and yeah, it does kind of give you anxiety. Yeah, Matt Morton said it turns a yeah. lot of people off. So yeah, no, I think that's great. And Sanga, you're trying to rival me on how much you can fit into one working week, but you've also teamed up with Morton with a podcast, and you're on season two of Tech Care. Do one of you want to tell us about that podcast and kind of what you hope to achieve? Yeah, sure. Um, um... See, uh, I think Morton and I, we separately wanted to start a podcast, okay? And uh, we we always wanted to do that for years on, even though we met only last year, isn't it, Morton? And um, and then we, we said, okay, let's do something and uh, let's try to create a place where we can we can bring like-minded people and, and uh, get them to talk about uh, technology and social care because those are you know two areas we are super passionate about but also give a 360 degree view you know like you were saying do we capture the voice of the people we care we don't but we should you know how how can technology help them have a quality of life have have an improved quality of care can we capture that voice can we can we hear from them can we hear from the uh, from the frontline who use technology on a day-to-day -day basis can we hear from the managers? Can we hear from you know the C-suite? Can we hear from the suppliers? Can we can we hear from the government? Can we hear from you know all the other uh, great initiatives that's happening like the digital social care? We had Katie and Daniel join us from from uh, Care England as well, and and that was a fantastic discussion. And uh, Morton knows everyone in the sector, you know, so he is like he is like the perfect perfect. <laughs> Most one could have and many times you won't believe we are like lastminute.com and we are like running to, to get the episode uh, recorded but uh, we are having fun in the process isn't it Martin? Yeah well, absolutely I think uh, very inspired by what you've done here Mark and, and Adam and and a couple of other people who started this with you I believe it back then very informal and the point being to knowledge share and go towards some common circa purpose of improving the sector and wanting to do so with others and yeah i think that's that's what that podcast is about and then of course the focus is technology and and yeah yeah i think that's it yeah i think it's great that there's so much out there because i think when when Dawn, Donna, Adam and I started this, we were kind of the only, there were obviously podcasts, but not as many as there are now. And there kind of wasn't anything that was on a regular basis for kind of anybody that wanted to know more about social care or worked in social care. So I think it's great. And I think you talk about obviously it being fun and that's what it's all about. Like, it's just fun, relaxed, you know, you're supporting other people, upskilling other people, giving them knowledge. And I think, yeah, if you're not having fun, then yeah, then don't do it. And yeah, Sangha, Lastminute.com, we can completely relate to that. Adam and I actually do all of this in our in our own time. So yeah, trying to book guests and do emails and bits and pieces. I'm sure if you all know, you could have got emails at God knows what o'clock. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think you know that that's good good in a way that uh, we are all juggling so many balls, and that's why I admire all of you so much. You know, in the sector that uh, I think there is a. Uh, if I can use that word, there is a desire to give in the sector, you know, not just take, and which I find fascinating, you know, because uh, look at us here, plus, you know, those who are listening, I know, I know Dudley is there, you know, I, I, I know Hannah is there, um, I've not seen the other names, but all of us, we are juggling so many balls during the day, you know, our day job or, you know, our startup ideas or, you know, or the new not new policy that, that we need to get cracking on, but still, even if it is last minute, we try to, you know, give something and we get so much in return, like all the podcasts that, that we have recorded, I have learned immensely, all the, you know, data cafe sessions that we have had, you know, I had, I had come back more richer, you know, in health and social care club, every session I've learned so much. And I think that's what makes us stronger as a sector and much different and better than other sectors. Um, 
Where, where were they five years ago when, when I entered the sector in the UK? Where were they? I mean, I didn't know anybody. I, really, I was craving these forums and people to meet and understand and learn from. <laughs> I think COVID did the trick. I think, you know, it, it brought people close, close to each other. Yeah, no, it definitely did. I think it pushed us from kind of being out with family and friends onto a virtual kind of reality, didn't it? So I did have one final question, but I don't think I'm going to ask it because I think that actually how Sangha's just kind of ended it, actually talking about how social care is so giving and all the support that's out there is a perfect way to end the show. So I just wanted to say thank you very much to the three of you for joining us. Thank you to everybody who's watched tonight and I will see you next week and I'm sure I'll see you three very soon. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Caring View. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, as well as various podcasting sites. Please don't forget to subscribe, like and share to become part of the conversation.